Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Beyond the Fairways. With PGA Tour professional Jay Delsing and hosted by four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Now, it's Beyond the Fairways. Welcome into Beyond the Fairways, a podcast dedicated to big-name guests in the world of golf. And with Jay Delsing, I'm Dan McLaughlin. Our guest on this edition of Beyond the Fairways is Brandel Chambly, the lead analyst for the Golf Channel, Golf Central, and for its live-from coverage of major championships. As a professional on the PGA Tour, for seven years, he was in the top 100 for money earnings on the tour, and he won the Greater Vancouver Open in 1998. Jay Delsing, my partner for this show, has played in over 700 PGA Tour events, and Jay, always fun to do Beyond the Fairways with you, and I'm looking forward to our visit with Brandel Chambly. Danny, it's always great to be with you, and um, yeah, having Brandel... Brandel has been kind of the beacon for golf analysts. And um, I think what you're going to find out, Danny, is a um, super smart guy. Absolutely. Really, really well-read. And as you know from all of the Emmys and things that you've won, he is super prepared. And he takes this thing, this job, really seriously, unlike some of the other analysts that kind of come and go that kind of zip in and zip out and they're not prepared. This guy is really well-read. He's also... Very opinionated, and I respect that as an analyst. I mean, he's going to tell it how it is, and if you're a viewer, that's what you want. You want honesty, and he 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 obviously brings that to every event, every show that he's a part of. You know, Danny, you mentioned something off the air that we talked about in your extensive baseball background about, I think it might have been Tim McCarver, where he was an analyst, and you really uh, uh, respected him a lot, and he was opinionated as well, and he would say certain things about a, a play that you could see where a player might take some have some objection to it, but you said he always made himself available the next day if that guy wanted to talk to him. Brandel's the same way. He doesn't hide. He's got an opinion. He calls it like it like it is, and he stands behind it. And he's also not afraid to say if he's if he jacks something up or he's wrong, he'll own it. Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, LIV, opinions. I want to get into that, too. Oh, it's going to be. You know, when you, if you think about some of the people that he's worked with over the years, the Mike Tarikos, the um, Rich Learners, the Nota Begay, you know, the, the list just goes goes on and on and on. And so it's going to be fun to hear where he goes. And he's not going to be short for words either, David. Randall Chambly is coming up on Beyond the Fairways. We'll have our innovations in golf. You know, COVID put a lot of folks on the golf course. It brought in kids to the game. We're going to talk about what changed for millennials playing the game of golf. Tips, how often should you change your equipment? And then we'll have our betting segment, which will take us to the Mexico Open. And we'll get into that coming up. This is Beyond the Fairways. Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. 
Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. It's time for the Beyond the Fairways Player Profile. Let's get back to Jay and Dan. Randall Chambly, the lead analyst for the Golf Channel, Golf Central, and for its live from coverage of major championships, is our guest in Jay Bird. He's one of the best in the business. He really is. Brandon, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us. I so appreciate you jumping on. How are you this morning? Uh, terrific. Uh, happy to join you, you both of you, Jay. Uh, Danny, uh, you know, of course, Jay, you and I have been friends for I don't know back when we were riding a horse and buggy to college so, uh, <laughs> a long a long long time ago and as we were talking about before we came on uh, here we are we're still talking about golf we still love it it still takes us to some great places and allows us to meet some some nice people and uh etc we never we never stop i'm taking a golf trip this weekend with my wife we're going to meet some friends and play the tpc sawgrass and then i'm coming back home and then going to work and then i come back home and go on another golf trip to to the east coast with some some good buddies so uh the game still treats us pretty good we got so fortunate i mean i can remember meeting you and i think we were definitely teenagers 17 18 16 something like that but here we are in our 60s and the game still provides, man. Between the two of us, we have eight children, and they've all done well. And this game, we kind of outkicked our coverage in this game, so to speak. <laughs> it's been it's been great to us. Uh, you're right, though. When when I talk to young kids, I I tell them, and I'm I'm sure they're rolling their eyes, but it is a game for a lifetime. It's also a a game about lifestyle. But I don't know any other game that you can play. I mean, I guess tennis, but I don't know that people travel to go play tennis. Uh, but they definitely travel to play golf. And, you know, so you make these great friendships and you get to travel together. And it's, it's, uh, there's nothing like it. It's, uh, it's fortunate that I, I took up tennis. I, I was riding horses when I, excuse me, when I took up golf. I was riding horses when I took up golf. And I'm quite certain I wouldn't still be riding horses uh, <laughs> or I wouldn't be traveling to ride them. Uh, so, so golf's been great to me and, and it's great to all of us. So, I mean, it's a uniter. It, it, it brings people together. You're going to these fabulous trips to play these different courses and have these different experiences. And it, it's it's something that, you know, as young people, I have no idea. Um, right. But, you know, you can provide an, an, an invitation to someone that otherwise you'd have no way of getting introduced to this that's, this person. That's so true. When I when I traveled uh, out to Arizona, I was going to school at the University of Texas, and we had some college event in Arizona, uh, and they had an Am Am before it started, and I was a pretty big country music fan uh, back then, still am I guess, but I was crazy back then, and uh, I get paired with Glenn Campbell, uh, and 
you know, this is back in the rhinestone cowboy glory days. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he was known as, you know, obviously a great country star, but also a premier guitar player. But he had just bought a brand new Corniche Rolls Royce convertible. And and so we, we go out and we play in this pro am and we win it. And to celebrate, he's like, come on, let's celebrate. And I was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? He goes, I just got this new uh, Rolls Royce convertible. Let's go drive up and down uh, Scottsdale Road. So we go <laughs> driving around in this Rolls Royce, and he's got the radio on playing Rhinestone Cowboy, and he's singing it at the top of his lungs. And, and, I, and I'm looking around. It's sunny. It's beautiful. And there's palm trees everywhere. We just won this tournament. And I'm in the car with flipping Glenn Campbell singing his biggest hit when it was his biggest hit. That's and, awesome. And I thought, well, this this isn't a bad day. No. Uh, and and you know, then I'm you know, I eventually moved here. And you're right, between all the baseball players and the football players and the basketball players and the hockey players and the entertainers that all love this game, uh, it is a unifier and 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 everybody else from every other walk of life who loves this game, it's uh it is a unifier. It brings people together from from pretty much every facet of life. We're all intrigued by this game. Uh, and we're all frustrated by it. And the game has kept you very active with television. When you're on the PGA Tour, did you ever envision becoming a lead analyst for this great sport that we love? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, you know, when I when I was I was asked a few times in the '90s to do some TV stuff, and or if I would consider it. And I remember being borderline offended, uh, thinking, you know, I'm a golfer. I'm not going to do TV. Uh, but, you know, the thing I now know about TV is that they really do keep an eye out for uh, people as they approach their 40s and as they begin to matriculate towards the bottom of leaderboards. <laughs> 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 and uh, and they, you know, they, they look for anybody that could they think put a sentence together because they, they always are looking for people to do TV. Uh, you know, since I started in. I guess the first year I did TV full time was 2003 for ABC, but I moved into Golf Channel in 2004. Uh, but I mean, I, I would have—I bet I would have worked with—I don't even know—20, 30, 40 different uh, professional golfers uh, who've come to the Golf Channel and stayed for a while, left for a while, whatever. But they're always looking. You know, even now, I mean, it, it, it won't—a month won't go by when I'm at the Golf Channel, and somebody will ask me, you know, who of the young players do you think? You know, do you think would be good at TV? And, you know, you just never know, by the way, who will be good. You just never, ever know. Because there's people I wouldn't have thought would have been good who turned out good. People who I thought would have been great who just, you know, one of the things is you have to do the work. And, and you know, if they show up and they don't do the work, well, you run out of stories after about, you know, five times on TV. That's it. Every story you know, you've told. Uh, and, <laughs> so and then true. you got to come up with some new stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I never thought I was going to go into TV. I thought I'd play golf my whole life, but, uh, but life, life takes you on all these different trajectories. Randall, who's been your biggest influence on the television side? Not necessarily you wanted to emulate cause you have your own style, but is there somebody that you looked at in any sport and said, Ooh, I like how he's doing that. And that's maybe an influence yeah. in your career. Yeah, loads, loads for sure. Uh, certainly when I first got into TV, it was, you know, Bob Costas, um, Mike Tirico, 
certainly. Uh, as an analyst, Chris Collinsworth, uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, his his work, his preparation comes through, uh, his, his ability to get to the crux of an issue. And um, that's certainly it. The, the fellow that I work with, uh, who his work ethic I, I certainly admire is Rich Lerner. Uh, you know, for sure, I can I can I can remember 2003, the Open Championship was at Royal St. George's that year, and then Curtis won. And we were in commercial break right before we went off the air for the week. And the producer, I, I, I had finished, you know, my hole was the 16th. I'd finished, but I still had my headset on. And I remember the producer, we had about two and a half minutes in a commercial break. And he said, hey, Mike, when we come out of commercial break, we're going to show this video as we go off the air. And it was about a two-minute long piece of video. So the first time Mike's seeing it is when we're in commercial break. So he rolls it. Mike's looking at it, and I hear him say, yep, 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 got it. Okay, cool, nice, got it. And then, boom, we're back on the air, and Mike's got to sign off, and he signs off to that that piece of video. And you would have thought he had a month to write to those pictures. And he just, you know, every time he spoke, a picture popped up. He spoke perfectly, but it just did seamless. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. And then, you know, that's it. Thanks for joining us, and off we go. And, you know, that night, I I see Mike, and I'm like, man, that was an incredible, you know, piece of commentary. He's like, which one? I said, you know, there at the end of the show, he goes, oh, gosh, said, I've been doing this 20 years. I said, yeah, I've been playing golf 20 years. I don't shoot 61 every time I go out. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I certainly appreciate uh, the way they've worked. Uh, you know, again, I love I love Nance and I love Dan Hicks. Uh, but I think every single time you, you watch TD, you can pick something up. But the, the danger, I would say, is – you can you can certainly be influenced by people, but the last thing in the world you want to do is try to copy them. Exactly. Because if you if you do, it's just it's just not you. Uh, I remember the first few years I was in TV, before I really knew where to find information, before I really felt comfortable, all of those things. And you had so many people telling you what to say, when to say it, how to look, how to how to sit, how to hold your hands, and and they're all well intentioned. But none of it means anything until you get comfortable. And then once you get comfortable, you can do all the things that everybody told you not to do, and nobody notices them. Nobody. Uh, because once you look comfortable, you can set however you want. You can have your elbow where they told you not to put it. You can say things they told you not to say. Uh, and it, it all works because you're comfortable. Uh, and, and it's yours. And um, so, you know, the, the hardest thing to do, and it sounds like, would be the easiest thing to do is to just be yourself. Um, and then because TV is such a subjective world, you know, in golf, it's so objective. You shoot 65. Nobody can tell you you didn't play great on TV. You can do what you think was a great show. People say, ah, wasn't that good. Or you can do what you thought was a crap show. And people go, ah, a really good show. Or So it's so subjective. I felt like I just had to come up with my own criteria for success, which for me was to do, you know, as much prep as I could. Uh, and that means what do you got to know? You got to know all the players. You got to know everything that's new that's going on with them, everything that's old that matters to give context. You got to know the golf course and you got to know the situation. And then after that, <clears throat> you know all that stuff. One, because obviously you have to talk about it, but two, so you can just relax and listen. And then when you relax and listen, it becomes more conversational. So all of those things you find out along the way and you put it together piece by piece. And again, back to Tariko, Mike told me, 
when I first got into television, he's like, look, it'll be about 10 years before you really get comfortable doing TV. And I would say he's about right. It takes a while to put all the pieces together. Brenda, one of the things you, you mentioned, Bob Costas and Mike Tarico's just besides uh, so good, just a lovely man. One of the things that I love that you do that I noticed that when Bob used to do the Olympics and he'd be in Beijing and he was always able to interject some sort of social issue or something that was relevant at the time that had something to do with the region or something, but not detract from the product, which is ultimately golf for you. But for him was the Olympics. That's not easy. No, it's not. And Bob was great at that. Um, you know, I just think it takes a lot of time. You know, you gotta, you gotta spend a lot of time doing prep and keeping current and then always thinking about how is this, relevant to the sport that I'm in. What's the larger picture? My wife teaches, uh, or she's an adjunct professor at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. And, uh, you know, she asked me one day to come in and talk to the kids. She's asked a lot of people in journalism to do that. And uh, I say kids, young adults. And, uh, you know, the advice, you know, they're asking me, how do you do prep? And I said, well, I said, the best way to do prep really, I think, is to read as broadly as possible way you know well outside the parameters of your particular interest you know whether whatever sport it is and read as broadly as possible and try not to lean too hard on all of the material that everybody in your in your little world is reading about because if you know i get the packages or whatever but I don't use the packages. I do my own research and I re- try to read as broadly as possible. And then the closer I get to an event, then I sort of narrow my focus more specifically to that. But you like to have as many, <clears throat> I'd say, analogies and metaphors and historical events that are relevant to what you're doing. But to do that, you have to read well outside your realm. And that's what I try to do. And uh, I, I do it... Um, I remember watching, there's uh, Kurt Sampson. I don't know if you guys know Kurt. He's a terrific writer. And I, I remember reading one of his books. I can't remember which one it is. I try to read all of them. And he writes about sport in general, but he's a very good golfer. He does write about golf. I, re- I read one of his books about golf <clears throat> eons ago. It might have been Hogan. It might have been the Masters. I can't remember which one it was. And I saw him shortly thereafter. I said, you know, your metaphors are so fresh. You know, nobody as far as I know in golf, writes like you. And he goes, you want me to tell you why? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Please. And he, goes, and he goes, because I don't read anything to do with golf. I don't read any periodical. I don't read any of the magazines. I don't read about golf. I read about other things. And I thought, well, that's it. I mean, that would have been 20 years ago he told me that. And I mean, I was always been a, a reader, always been a lover of, of the written word, but uh, that hit home with me. So I started as much as I could reading outside of my particular sport. And I think you could certainly tell that Bob did that. You can certainly tell that Tariko does that. Uh, we're on the air forever. You know, we're on the air hour upon hour upon hour. Uh, and sooner or later, if you don't, you will run out of things to talk about, or you'll run out of fresh ways to talk about things. And I think that's, you know, my job is to go in there and talk basically about the same thing I talked about the day before, 
and basically the day before that and the week before that and et cetera. And you got to come up with a new way to talk about it, a, a new angle. Uh, you got to come up with new metaphors uh, and you got to keep it fresh, which, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about how can I say what I said yesterday, but say it differently. And, and it's fun for me. It's a bit like golf. It's, a, it's competitive and gets your juices flowing. Hey guys, if you can hold on for just a second, want to tell you about Manscaped. The NFL draft is here and the most exciting prospect is the prospect of being perfectly groomed head to toe with our friends at Manscaped. Manscaped has long had elite downfield play with their lawnmower 4.0. In 2023 though, they have the rookie sensation Beard Hedger to ensure the face of your franchise, it's a pretty one. This one-two punch of men's grooming is the best acquisition for any at-home GM. So go to manscaped.com, save some salary cap with our code BTF and you'll get 20% off plus free shipping btf that's for beyond the fairways 20 percent off and free shipping everyone who saw the super bowl knows what can happen with poorly managed grass that type of ball playing field quality would never happen with the lawnmower 4.0 this is an elite electric trimmer and a lock for a first round talent in the season of trimming the roster manscape will make sure you're cutting all the right players and not any important pieces to your D. You've now done the dirty work. Now it's time to make sure you look good out there with the Beard Hedger and its 20 positions of precision. This powerful cordless trimmer helps you customize your look with a rotary wheel that has 20 links while only using one guard. If you haven't upgraded your grooming tools already, head to Manscaped for a champion worth roster reset. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code BTF at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BTF and go from Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Brandon, I can remember years ago, and I know you won this event, you and I were playing a practice round at the GVO up at Northview in Vancouver. And we had we were out early. I don't know. I don't think it was any sort of thing that we organized. I think we just saw each other on the range and said, let's go play. And I can remember talking to you specifically on the back nine about reading. And because I like to read our cohorts, I would not say the majority of them love to read. <laughs> I would not, I would not, I would not say that. And then shortly thereafter, I think you, and maybe you had won the event already and you were defending. I'm not sure, but when you made the move over, I said to a friend of mine that was not involved, like, who's this, you know, this Brandle Chambly guy? I go, just watch and listen to him. He's as well-spoken and well-read as anyone on tour. And it shows, Brandle, and it's interesting that you draw from the non-golf world and pull in. And I think that's really interesting. You know, the only, I'm not the biggest sports fan outside of golf although i enjoy tennis and i enjoy horse racing and i enjoy the other sports um as they are relative to golf like what's going on in baseball with guys changing their trajectories at bat and the way they're batting uh and the mechanics of throwing are similar to the mechanics of generating power uh and there's a great guy by the name of tom house i'm sure Danny, you're familiar oh, yeah, with Tom House. For sure. Uh, and and I dive deep into Tom House's stuff, and uh, I've got a lot of good baseball friends, et cetera. But, <clears throat> but my interests lie basically outside of sports, um, and I enjoy reading about them. And, you know, I, I think, 
to be a good writer, you need to be a good reader. And I think to be a good speaker, you need to be, you need to be a good writer. Uh, to sit down and write forces you to contend with, you know, the chaos in your head and to get your act together and to get your thoughts together and to try to become more articulate. Uh, so if you if you read and you write, I, I think it certainly helps you, uh, you know, deliver your thoughts in a more concise and, and memorable uh, manner. Uh, and, I, you know, I went to school and that's pretty much what I did in college. That's what my degree was in. And uh, yeah, so I, again, I, you know, I've, I uh, I'm a serial reader. Uh, I got books uh, by the coffee table and one in our bar area, one by the bed, one by the bathtub, one in my uh, car. Uh, I've got different books that I take on trips and, you know, I'm reading, you know, six, eight, ten books at a time uh, and they're, they're fresh to me. And I and I and I love it. You know, it's 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 really fun. Like, I'll give you something silly. Like, this is the silly stuff I do. So it's like I was reading a book about innovation the other day. And in the book, it talks about, obviously, the great thinkers from Greece uh, and I'm Socrates, obviously, but he didn't write anything down. So Plato and Aristotle. But it talks about the great innovators from that era, you know, sort of thousands of years ago. And one of them was this fellow Archimedes. And <clears throat> Archimedes is famous for, at the time, the king, uh, <clears throat> the king had received this gold crown. He had given the gold to a jewelry maker, let's say, and the jewelry maker makes this gold crown. And But the king now is suspicious. He's like, I wonder if he used all that gold or not. He goes, I, and there's no way to know because his crown's so beautiful. I don't want to scratch it or break it to find out if it's solid gold. But I think this guy cheated me. And so he tasked Archimedes with figuring out whether or not the, the crown was solid gold, but it was real ornate. And so Archimedes is trying to figure out how to solve this issue. He can't figure it out. can't figure it out. And he breaks away from the problem. He goes, takes a bath. When he jumps into the tub, the water spills out of the tub. And he has what's this Eureka, right? So Eureka is a Greek word that means I got it. So he runs through, famously runs through the streets of Greece naked, screaming, Eureka, I got it. And, you know, he submerged the crown it displaced the water. He used the water, found a similar amount of gold. And sure enough, he found out the guy was cheated. And what does that have to do with golf? Well, I, it hit me that, you know, I, I talked to the masters about Rory needing solitude and uh, to clear his mind because, yeah, he's got all these great teachers. But <clears throat> at some point, you got to be alone on the range. you got to be alone in a room to think. And. And I thought, that's it. That's a eureka moment. And I think Rory, amongst many tour players, because I think they have too many voices in their head, they all need a moment alone to get in a bathtub and have a eureka moment or sit alone in, a, in their in having a cup of coffee. Uh, and so, you know, I'm thinking, how does that how is that relevant to golf? And it's like you have to contend with a problem and then you have to get away from it and think about it to help solve it. And I thought, you know, that's I think that's relevant to golf. And what I just told you, I will likely use at the PGA Championship because <laughs> I, think I think it's relevant to golf. So I will probably be talking about Archimedes uh, at the PGA Championship at some point because it entertains me. And I love talking about some fat Greek running through Greek <laughs> uh, <laughs> and talking about how it's relevant to golf. Phil Mickelson could have been a great TV analyst. There's no doubt about it. He could have been the ambassador for the PGA Tour, really for the sport. 
And I'm curious, Randall, how would you describe Phil Mickelson now as he's jumped from the PGA Tour to live and could have had all those different things that I just said? Yeah, I agree. I think Phil was on that track. I think Phil was, you know, Phil loved the idea, I think, of, of being a commentator. I think all the stars were lining up for him to do just that. Uh, unfortunately, his move to live, uh, you know, likely makes that impossible. Uh, you know, the idea that somebody's going to get on TV and start talking reverentially about, you know, the back nine of the PGA Tour event when they've publicly talked about atrocities, not in horror, but with seeming glee because he can use them as leverage to get what he wants. <clears throat> that's a tough hurdle to get over. Yeah. I don't know that anybody's going to get over that. And that's why the sponsors bailed on him. Uh, I think, you know, while Phil's golf is uh, nothing but stupefying, you know, his talent uh, and his longevity is, is uh, Sam Sneed like uh, Phil has always been, you know, an acquired taste, uh, but watching him implode late in his career <clears throat> has been sad. Uh, I think uh, that's about it to watch somebody, you know, torpedo their own legacy the way Phil Mickelson has. Uh, and you know, it's not like there's any ounce of contrition in Phil. If there was, I think, you know, this country's very quick to forgive, but I don't see any, any uh, contrition in him. Uh, you know, narcissistic winners in anything. I mean, yeah, sure. People can win their way to popularity, but not really if they're just, if it's all about them. If it is just narcissistic winning, uh, you know, that, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And there was always that sense with Phil. Uh, but I think his transition and trying to recruit players to live without being able to see the big picture uh, is at the very least narcissistic. And it makes him tough to listen to. He's easy to watch play golf, but he's very tough to listen to. Two-part question. Do you pay attention to live, number one? And number two, do you think the players – regret it to some extent jumping from the PGA tour to, uh, to live. I do pay some attention to live. I was talking to, um, I won't call him out, but I was talking to a writer who covers live, uh, at the masters. <clears throat> There's not many. So you can, you know, it's one of five probably. So, uh, I was talking to this particular writer, you know, he came over and dropped anchor at my table. I knew he'd been covering live. And in preparation for the Masters, I said to him, uh, you know, I, look, I was unable to find your game day stories, game day stories, you know, the wrap up uh, of the three rounds uh, every night that have a wrap up. And then what happened on the last day and who won and why they won and all that. And he goes, oh, I, I haven't written a game day story. I say, what are you talking about? You don't write a game day story. And he goes, no, nobody writes a game day story about live. <clears throat> and I said, well, I think that tells me all I need to know about live. And he said, yeah, you're right. We don't write one because it's it's not so much about who won. It's the phenomenon of live. Do you think the players okay. regret it, though? Uh, I think so, yeah, especially now that they're all losing these lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, you know, in particular, the, the Europeans, I think, because the courts over there tend to be more liberal. Uh, so uh, there was a sense that the, the European tour was going, the DP World Tour was going to lose uh, their court case. And I believe that they were all told by, you know, Greg Norman and whoever else runs this ridiculous tour. Um, 
that don't worry, we're going to win our court case. You're going to be able to have your cake and eat it too. And I think that was a real hello moment, you know, a wake up moment for for uh, all of these players uh, when the DP World Tour prevailed in court, that they were well within their their means and, and rules and rights to deny entry into these events for the players who uh, defected to live. Uh, and it looks like the same thing's happening here in the United States. So players are not going to be able to have their cake and eat it too. <clears throat> and you know, I, I think there's there's relatively little buzz out there. I know people are talking about the buzz at uh, in Australia. There are a few places where, yeah, there is a following. Uh, but for the most part, when you, when you look at the <clears throat> relatively lack of interest globally in the event and the fact that they don't get talked about because they're playing in oblivion uh, and they're playing on a tour that ultimately is a force for evil. And I, I believe that I can certainly speak to that. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there has to be some uh, buyer's remorse uh, with, with these players. Yeah, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it, uh, you know, sort of intimated by Brooks Kepka heard a number of other players uh, intimate that they have sort of buyer's remorse. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who was at uh, Trump Bedminster, uh, who's a member there. And he said, you know, they had set up a driving range, really, you know, really sort of lots of uh, sparkles and bells and whistles on the driving range, this area for sponsors to sit around, and have drinks and watch the best players in the world practice. <clears throat> and he told me that it was pointless because nobody practiced after the round. And they would only warm up for about 10 minutes before the rounds. And I thought, well, that's telling because, you know, typically guys get on the range at least an hour, sometimes earlier, and then they always go to the range afterwards. And so there's lots of activity on the driving ranges of PGA Tour events, but relatively little uh, in preparation for or after their rounds, which I thought was pretty telling. So, yeah, I think there is. Uh, but ultimately, you have to ask yourself, if you're playing that tour. You, do you have autonomy anymore? No, you don't. You don't. You get told where you're going to play and when you're going to play there. You can't for a graduation or an anniversary or just because you don't feel like playing, not play. And ultimately, that tour is uh, like the PGA Tour is a force for good. Uh, the, P the PGA Tour is based upon a foundation of charity and philanthropy. It's about making communities better. Uh, and the live tour is, is, is a force for evil. It's a force for obfuscation. It's a force for hiding the atrocities of the fellow who directs the money that funds live. That's MBS and his atrocities. That's what it's about. And you have to, as much as those players want to say, oh, the professional golfers are doing better now and the tour is better now. Uh, you know, I've got two things to say about that. First of all, we will see, because I'm not sure that the ratings are going to uh, support these poor purses, which means they may have to bring in venture capitalism, which means the tour could lose its uh, philanthropic foundation or, or nonprofit designation. And because it, it is likely, in my view, and as far as I can tell and everything I've read, it, it more or less guarantees the ongoing atrocities will not be mitigated. Uh, and so that's, that's what they're involved in now. So from a financial standpoint, I'm sure they're fine. But from a, a buzz standpoint and from an ethical or moral standpoint, uh, I think they've sold their souls to the devil. Uh, and and I, I'm not sure that golf should allow them back into the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour, for that matter. Randall and Jay, if you can hold on for just a moment, want to tell everyone about 
Henson Shaving. There are pains of using a cheap razor. You get the nicks, the cuts, irritation. There's also the annoyance of subscription razors. You don't have to worry about that with Henson Shaving. That's why you got to meet Henson Shaving. It's a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer. That's right, aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the ISS, International Space Station, and Mars Rover, and now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Razor blades are like diving boards. You guys know that. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just .0013 inches. That means less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor for you, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades. The Henson Razor works with standard dual-edge blades to give you that old-school shave with the benefits of new school tech. I use it, Jay uses it, and it's affordable. $5 a year in blades. Let me say that again. It's affordable because it's $5 a year in blades. So it's time to say no to subscriptions, yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash BTF for Beyond the Fairways. Pick the razor for you. Use the code BTF. You'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to hensonshaving.com slash BTF. Use that code BTF and enjoy Henson Shaving. Brendel, how much did money uh, have to do with Phil making this move? I mean, I know we're not involved in the back room of Phil's inner circle, but something just reeks so much of this quote-unquote $200 million that he got. It was almost like he had to do it. Yeah, look, even now it's sad. You watch Phil holding that coffee cup everywhere he goes. You know, it's it's like his little teddy bear. Everywhere, everywhere you see Phil, he's got this coffee cup in his hand. He's peddling his own coffee. You know, he's made hundreds of millions of dollars playing golf, and he has to be peddling something to make more money. You know, I obviously we don't know his finances, but the fact that he talks so much about money and is so obviously trying to sell things, you know, it's not hard to connect dots and say that he either, you know, has an endless greed for money or needed the money. Uh, either way, it seems to me that he's got this uh, narcissistic, narcissistic bent to him uh, or itch and live, live is helping him scratch it. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Phil was always seemed to me like the guy who didn't matter if he was playing with a, a fellow who, you know, created an artificial heart. He would know more about artificial hearts than the <laughs> fellow he was playing with. Um, uh, and, you know, I've, I've been around Phil a fair bit. I wouldn't say we were ever friends, but his friends are my friends. And, um, you know, I've listened to him enough to know that uh, uh, he, he tends to think he's the smartest person in the room, even if he's in a room with the smartest people in the world. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I felt like he, he thought he could run the PGA Tour better than they could. I mean, the numbers that he threw out, uh, it was a little more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, the numbers that he threw out, uh, one, they were wrong. They were all wrong. 
but two, it just spoke to the fact that he thought that uh, that he could run the PGA Tour better than they were. He was talking about the NFTs and the billions of dollars that uh, you know he had to, should have the digital rights to. Uh, you know, it, it just it showed a, an, an unbelievable naivete, naivete uh, about somebody who uh, is ostensibly a bright guy uh, about the business of sport. Uh, no other sport uh, allows the media rights, the players, to own their media rights to the extent that, that Phil was talking about. Otherwise, it makes their telecast uh, less valuable, which means sponsors go away and the rest of the people who are making money in the sport are not going to make any money in the sport. So it was very selfish and narcissistic on Phil's part. We had Gary McCord on the show not too long ago, and he talked a little bit about this Walters book that's coming out. And I really enjoyed Alan Shipnick's book on Phil, just the complexities of Phil. And in this Walters book, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you've heard much about it, but I'm very interested in that as well. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think uh, people are looking more forward to this book than they've been looking forward to Mac O'Grady's teaching book that he was supposedly writing for 25, 30 years, 40 years. <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's never come out. Uh, I've been listening to people talk about Billy Walters book now for more than a year. And there's no sign of it on the horizon. So if there is a book, okay, great. Uh, where is it? Because everybody's been talking about it for a year, year and a half. Uh, it, it, you can go watch the 60 Minutes piece. You know, if you don't know who Billy Walters is and you're listening to us, just go on YouTube and type in 60 Minutes Billy Walters. And they do a piece, a deep dive on Billy Walters. It lets you know, one, he's pretty formidable. He's not a dumb guy. Um you know, he he's the guy that sets lines. Uh, these are not dumb guys. Uh, gamblers don't make money, except a few of them do. And he was one of them that did. Uh, and, you know, from from what I from what I've read, you know, Phil gets implicated in a lot of different ways. Uh, and what I've heard, he gets implicated in a lot of different ways in this insider trading story, uh, which Phil was able to sort of weasel his way through without being um, prosecuted. Uh, but the way I understand it is that loophole closed shortly after Phil was, let's say, um, uh, to what extent he was acquitted, um, but he was able to work his way through it, whereas Billy, Billy Walters wasn't. And what I understand is, is that Phil could have helped Billy uh, and was nowhere to be found in the moment of need, even though apparently Billy had spent a lot of time helping Phil. Um, so that's, that's the way I understand it. Uh, so the way I understand it also is that Billy's going to name names, uh, et cetera. And, you know, he's been in prison. I don't know for how long, three, four, five years. Uh, that gives you a lot of time to think and write. I would bet. Absolutely. Uh, so, so when it comes out, yes, I will. That'll, that'll certainly be a book that, uh, that I start to finish pretty quickly. My final question for you, ball, ste- uh, ball speed dropped incredibly from the Genesis to the Masters for Tiger Woods. Then he has, subsequently, he gets the surgery afterwards. Uh, you watched him in the prime of his career to now and what we're seeing. What do you think the future holds right now for Tiger Woods in, in playing competitive golf on the PGA Tour? You know, isn't it amazing that he's, you know, he's, except for Genesis where he made the cut, but He's played in what uh, four majors in the last year uh, at 47 with every single part of his body in obvious uh, pain. You know, point to any part of his body that that hasn't uh, needed surgery. Uh, you, you're hard pressed to do it from the neck 
to the back, uh, to the legs, to the ankles, to the feet, uh, all the way up and down. And he still manages to make these cuts in majors. I think that in, in some ways is as telling as him winning by 15 shots. It just speaks to his never quit. I mean, him grinding the cutout at the Masters um, was amazing to me. You know, just you, you, you just you run out of ways to sum him up. Uh, I don't, I don't. After watching him at the Masters and watching him over the last year and a half and listening to a lot of smart doctors tell me what likely transpired with his injury, uh, everything they told me a year and a half ago seems to be spot on the doctors they, they talked about a very specific bone in the bottom of his foot that gets essentially crushed in injuries uh like the one that he likely sustained uh where you hit a curb and your 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 right foot is either on the gas or the brake and you're going at a high speed it, it generally breaks this bone if it's a clean break it'll heal up it's called a talus bone uh it's likely crushed he said they said to me a year and a half ago his foot will be likely arthritic the rest of his life and it'll swell up every time he walks. Well, that's exactly what it looks like to me has taken place. Apparently uh, last year at the PGA, some bolt came out of his knee or femur or ankle or leg, one of the injuries since, and then apparently he needed another surgery after the masters. Uh, and I read what the doctor said. That there's no reason that he can't compete at the highest level. Uh, okay. Okay. If this doctor was able to find something and do something that no previous doctor was able to do and sprinkle magic dust in there, uh, that'd be great because it is, there's nothing that, that compares to watching Tiger Woods, even when he's hobbled and aging, there's nothing that compares to that in golf, maybe not even in sport. Every time he plays, I feel like this is the last time we're going to get to watch Babe Ruth at bat. Uh, that's what Tiger is. He's probably already given us, I don't know how many comeback stories he's given us. You can go back to the 2008 uh, U.S. Open. That was a comeback story. And 12-13 was a comeback story. And 18-19 was a comeback story. And every one of these are, you know, they, every one of these is more improbable than the one that preceded it. Uh, so on the one hand, he's given us plenty. And yet we still want, I, you know, wouldn't it be cool if he won one more time? You know, and was 83. It seems to me it'd be the rightful place for him to be the the outright leader of all time wins on the PGA Tour. But but perhaps him tying Sam Snead is uh, is uh, is romantic. You know, uh, you know. As I said at the Masters, when Tiger came out and said "Hello World," he didn't say "Hello America." He said "Hello World," and he really did take golf and expand it globally. I have no doubt that it's in the Olympics because of Tiger Woods. I have no doubt that the reason that a certain dictatorial autocrat murderer in Saudi Arabia by the name of MBS thought that he could sports wash his legacy with golf is because Tiger Woods elevated the game to, well, the level of other sports in terms of interest. And, and you know, for him to win his 82nd event, in Japan, the first year that the PGA Tour went to Japan, uh, in some ways brings his career full circle because Hello World and for him to win in other parts of the world in the U.S. in some ways seems fitting to me. Uh, and with his multi-ethnic uh, background and his multi-ethnic appeal, uh, it, it seems fitting to me that he that he was able to win in Japan 
for his 82nd victory on the PGA Tour. So I, I think that's a hell of a story if that's the final story of his career. Guys, hold on for just a second. want to tell our listeners about Bird Dogs, shorts and pants with a comfortable built-in liner. Built-in underwear is the future of comfort, and the future is now with Bird Dogs. you probably heard about it. It's great stuff. Khaki shorts, gym shorts, bathing suits, joggers, sweatpants. With Bird Dogs, it's all about fit, comfort, and versatility. Now, like me and Jay, you'll look better and feel great wearing Bird Dogs. Their stretchy fabric will be more comfortable than your other shorts and pants. And Bird Dogs will give you the freedom to wear one pair of shorts or pants that are good at the golf course, meeting a date, or just hanging out with friends. I'll tell you what, now that's versatility. Jay and I were on the golf course just the other day, and when we were playing, we were wearing Bird Dogs. Comfortable and afterwards went to dinner. Yes, we are wearing Bird Dogs. Hey, you know Dave Portnoy, he does pizza reviews wearing Bird Dogs. College football nerds say they are the perfect pants for dads that have a little extra gut. Bird Dogs makes them look great and feel comfortable. BirdDogs.com is the website, and if you enter the promo code BTF for Beyond the Fairways, you'll get a free Yeti-style tumbler with every order that'll keep your drinks hot or cold, a $40 value. Visit BirdDogs.com and use our promo code BTF for Beyond the Fairways. Brandon, we had... And I don't think there's any doubt in my mind um, that if Tiger had the ability to manage himself a little better off the golf course and and some of these things would have broken differently, he would have probably won, I don't know, 25 to 35 majors, well over 100 tournaments, broken every single record that was ever written in the record books. Just wasn't meant to be for a lot of reasons. Do you see it that way? And also, I was told that if Jack... Nicholas had had more of a goal in terms of numbers of majors to shoot for that Jack probably would have had 25 and not 18. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Jack was, if you listen to Jack, sometimes he say he was chasing Bobby Jones record of 13. Sometimes he say he wasn't. Sometimes he said he didn't even pay attention to it. So, you, so it's hard to know. Uh, but the rest of the world was paying attention to it back when they counted Bobby Jones's amateur victories and British amateur victories as majors. Uh, it was 13. Uh, other than that, it was Walter Hagen, 11 professional majors, and Jack passed that pretty quickly and then blew by Bobby Jones, 13. And so, yeah, there was no top of the mountain that Jack was trying to get to. He was just making the mountain top, uh, harder to climb for somebody else. And And, and it turns out, you know, the victories that Jack had in 1980, we won the U.S. Open of the PGA at Oak Hill, by the way, and uh, and the Masters, those were important because that's, <laughs> that's the number of majors that separates Jack and, and Tiger Woods. You know, Tiger's got 15 professional majors, Jack's got 18. So Jack won those last three after turning the age of 40. Mm. Uh, and I hear your point about Tiger. I've, I've made that point. If you go back and you look at, you know, him changing his golf swing, 98, 99, and then again in late 2002, 3, 4, and then again in 2010, 11, uh, and then again in 18, 19. And you take all those those downtimes, uh, droughts in terms of his victories, and you just apply the win percentages that he had before with whatever swing he was using and that he had after with whatever new swing he was using. It's, it's easy to extrapolate to over 100 victories and 25 major championships. 
but I don't think you can you can separate those. A lot of people will ask, you know, it's an oft asked question: Who is the most overachieving golfer of all time? People love to say Corey Pavin because Corey didn't look like he possessed any great athletic skill, and he was diminutive and had little hands. And and as you well know, having played with him at UCLA, he was one hell of a player. Uh, but I don't think that you can separate. I think the mistake people make is that they try to separate someone's tenacity uh, or, in the case of Tiger Woods, curiosity from who they are as a person. Uh, You you can't do it. It's more a part of their DNA than I would say their talent is. We tend to look at talent and we'll say, God, that person is blessed with so much talent if they only have just a little bit more discipline. But discipline is more, and there's a lot of data, uh, a, a lot of documentation on this, uh, discipline, if we're going to call it that, tenacity, um, is more a part of your DNA and who you are as a person than, than your talent is. You know, whatever, whatever sort of uh, intangible quality you want to put to someone's uh, athleticism, if you want to call it that, tenacity is who you are. And it's a part of who you are. So curiosity, I guess, was a part of who Tiger Woods is. And who's to say that Tiger Woods' career would have gone on, you know, in those downturns if if he hadn't piqued his own interest trying to climb another mountain? I think Tiger's only real competitor was himself. He had no other competitors. And as much as I thought it was crazy him building these great golf swings and dismantling them only to build something back that was just as good, uh, as before and carry on winning to me seemed like the craziest thing in the history of not golf sport. You know, it'd be like Michael Jordan changing the way he hit a free throw, uh, or a jumper in 1998 or, or shooting left handed or something, you know, just so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. It makes no sense, but that was it. It was tiger's quest, uh, for perfection. And the, the amazing thing about it is, and I think this is at least in my view, this is, uh, the most unreachable aspect of Tiger's career amongst all of the things that no one else is going to do. I promise you, no one's ever going to uh, win majors with four completely different golf swings, ascend to number one with four completely different golf swings. Hell, it takes a lifetime to, to work out the problems in one golf swing. And, <laughs> Don't and, we know. and, and he did it four different times and came back to be number one. So, you know, I, I think that was part of the fascination of Tiger. Uh, early on, you know, Tiger, I mean, I, not that I'm friends with Tiger now. I I don't, I see Tiger a few times a year. He's been nice and said hi the last few times I've seen him. His friends are the nicest people in the world, though. I mean, his friends are Nota Begay, can't find a nicer guy than Nota. Steve Stricker, can't find a nicer guy than Steve Stricker. John Cook, Mark O'Meara, Sean O'Hara. These are the best people you'll ever meet in your life. Those are Tiger's friends. So, I, you know, it's kind of easy to say Tiger must be a hell of a guy if he's hanging out with those guys. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, so, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know Tiger, uh, essentially, but I know, I know his friends, uh, and, and it speaks volumes about the type of person, at least in my view, type of father that he is. Uh, so, you know, I think he's got other long-term interest now besides golf and he i don't think he gets enough credit for his philanthropic tiger is not so quick to talk about the tiger woods foundation and i think to me that's that's like the true essence of charity it's like somebody who 
more or less, not that he's doing it anonymously, but it's not the first thing you hear Tiger Woods talk about. It's, it's the 20th, and yet he's helped you know, thousands of kids uh, make their way through sort of STEM classes and then uh, fund their education. Uh, and I think that that speaks volumes about you know, Tiger Woods' legacy uh, and the fact that he doesn't offer it up so quick, I, I think, is, is another feather in Tiger's cap. Absolutely. Brando, you've been amazing with your time, and uh, we were talking off the air. I think you're the best uh, analyst in golf. You're honest. You you educate people, and uh, you've educated us during this visit. So thank you so much for doing this. Well, it's my pleasure, uh, Danny and uh, Jay. Uh, Danny, I hope our paths cross, Jay. Uh, look forward to seeing you again down the road. I've so enjoyed our friendship over the years, and uh, I look forward to talking to you all uh, again in the future and talking about some fat Greek uh, named <laughs> the Just, I'll be thinking about you guys when I do it. We can't wait to listen, buddy. Thanks so much. <laughs> Talk to you all later. Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. It's the breakdown. There it is. A win for the ages. It is better than most. The return to glory on Beyond the Fairways. Long interview with Brandel Chambly, that's for sure. And you mentioned in our open, he is well read, he has opinions, and that's what we got. You just kind of get, you just, we just throw something out there, and he's got so much information about things. It's pretty remarkable. What'd you think about what he said about Phil? Because he knows Phil well, and Phil could have been, you know, the ambassador for the sport. He also could have been a lead analyst, and now he's with LIV and kind of a non-factor. I love the way you set up that question, you know, because that's what everybody's thinking about. You know, Phil teased everybody when he went in the booth a couple of times with Jim Nance and, and Nick Faldo and some of those things. And he was really, it was really interesting. Some of the things he talked about barometric pressure. He talked about all this weird kind of obscure stuff that a lot of the players know that's going on that, that a lot of the listeners don't. And even Nick Faldo didn't know what's going on. And now that's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. And probably not going to happen. Tiger Woods potentially winning another event on tour. We got into that at the very end of the interview. I mentioned how his ball speed dropped incredibly from the Genesis to the Masters, but he agreed on what we said. 
There's some great stories coming out of the Masters. Phil Mickelson, the aforementioned Phil Mickelson, and what he did on the back nine on Sunday. Obviously, John Rahm winning the green jacket from Brooks Kepka down the stretch, but also, incredibly, Tiger Woods making the cut at the Masters. You know, Danny, we've seen this, and, and we love sport. We love all sports. You and I sit around, we talk sports, we watch sports, we play golf together, we do whatever the hell we can together. I don't think either of us has seen a guy with a higher compete level than Tiger. I would it agree. Just it, There's just like you're going to have to carry his bones off the field. You know what I mean? He just leaves everything he has out there. You know, no pun intended on that because a bone went through his skin. I yeah. mean, that's amazing that he's still trying to compete and trying to do this at a high level, much yeah. less even play generally speaking. Right. And, and you know, I thought it was interesting what Brandle talked about, some of the doctors where they had kind of forebode what was going to happen and watch it kind of play out. And now Tiger with this last surgery on his ankle, there's no telling what else they did when they were in there with that. I think he said the talon bone or some yeah. obscure bone in your foot. But, um, yeah, it's still sad. I don't want to give up on Tiger. I don't, I, don't I mean, I just, I just love how he moves the needle, and he's just interesting. He is interesting, and so is Brandel Chambly. I'll wrap up uh, this portion of our podcast with this. The bottom line is he is blunt, he's honest, he's got an opinion, and again, I, I just you know respect that. I think he's in a tough spot because you want to have the respect of the players, but you also owe it to the fans and the viewers, to be honest. He does, and you know, I think he does a good balancing. Uh, he provides a good balancing act there, Danny. He doesn't go willy-nilly with these opinions. There's a reason he's, he's looked into it. He, he also talked about, you know, not only his prep, the, the studying the golf course, knowing the swings, knowing what's going on in their lives. He, he, he's versed in all sorts of different things. Yeah. And he's got, he's got an opinion on why he has the opinion. I mean, he'll tell you that as well if you give him enough time. And he's not repetitive either, which is something that he works on very, very hard. Danny, when I was doing this stuff for Fox, I think one afternoon I said, obviously like seven times you know there's just these words that we yeah. key on and and he he does that you know from 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 your background how easy that is to do and you pros don't do that he doesn't do that he he's he's a light in the game i, I whether you like him or i mean even if you don't like him he still draws your attention absolutely he moves the needle so our thanks to Brandel Chambly of the Golf Channel. If you want to go back and listen to some of our podcasts, we have had Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, David Faraday, Curtis Strange, Andy North, and the list goes on and on. Jaber, nice job lining all these guys up, too. <laughs> these are good buddies years, and, and you, you know, a lot of people wouldn't get that. Those kind of names, unless they respect you, so it's a it's credit old, to you. But look at all these wrinkles, man. That's <laughs> that's, that's how, I, how we got in there. No, these guys are. You know, we have we have stories and we have history together. It's really kind of fun. Um, a lot of them we can't tell yeah. uh, on the air, but um, anyway, it's it's good fun. Jay Delsing, Dan McLaughlin, innovations in golf. Big ones in the last three years. We'll get into that coming up. The world of golf is ever evolving. It's time for Equipment and Innovations in Golf on Beyond the Fairways. Innovations in the game of golf, we talked about it in our open. COVID put a lot of folks on the golf course. That was one of the ways that you could be separated from people. So it was like fishing. It was other things like that. You were with your family, but also on the golf course a lot. And it brought in kids to the game. Millennials 
value technology probably more than the previous generation. So, Jay, in innovation, what's the biggest technological advancement that we've seen in the game really Danny, over the last three years? Danny, it's got to be the GPS coming in. It's really super cool. You have lasers that are, are not necessarily GPS-based, but they're this technology where a handheld device – you click it onto a tree, you click it on a flagstick, a bench, and it gives you, Danny, just in, in figuring out how to do a practice round on the PGA Tour, those lasers are so, come in so handy. Back in the day, we would take this, extrapolate, do these angles, these isosceles triangles, trying to figure out, you know, what the carry was over the water and things like that. That is a snap. And then the GPS stuff that's in golf carts and a lot of your resort and public golf courses, the watches that people are wearing, it, it makes the game so much more fun because you can go, oh, heck, I'm going to go play uh, Oakmont tomorrow. And you have your little Garmin watch or your GPS watch and you subscribe on your subscription, you get Oakmont and you step up on the first tee and it'll say you have 212 yards to that right-hand bunker. And that sort of stuff's important when you don't know the course. It's pretty incredible when you're sitting in the middle of the fairway and you're trying to figure out what club to hit and you shoot the flag. It'll take into account the hill and obviously the distance, and then take into account those two things and come up with the measurement. I, I find that just incredible. Yeah, it, it, it's a, that's a game changer. And, Danny, I believe there'll be a time in a not-too-distant future where those are going to be allowed in professional golf, Ooh, where the caddies will still walk the courses and check their numbers and things like that. But, man, can you imagine standing up in the fairway, clicking the flagstick, boom. I mean, it could really – Theoretically, it could really speed up play. You could see where guys oh, are getting yeah. the weeds on that as well. But it's almost too much, though. I think for a pro, they're so good anyway. If you gave them that, the exact yardage and yeah. where they're going to know where the flag is on the green, it almost becomes cheating for those guys. Guy like you would just absolutely dominate, Danny. We have that already. We know. Well, like when I'm standing out there, I know it, from this sprinkler head, it's 154 oh, yeah. yards to the front, and then we add the flagstick. I know it's 172 yards. These guys already know exactly what the yardage is. Their caddies have walked the golf courses with these GPS things, with these lasers, and they'll say they'll 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 say how far is it to carry that lake, and they'll say 278 yards, not 275, not hit at about 280. It's 276. And there were guys, Johnny Miller, when he was playing, Danny, he had a caddy named Andy Martinez. And when he got within 100 yards of the flagstick, Andy Martinez gave him half yardages. Incredible. Incredible. I, I asked Johnny that, and he said, I got that good. Is and that I right? I find that hard to even fathom. But yeah, the great Johnny Miller, when he got the short irons, was down to the half a yard. Tip segment coming up. How often should you change equipment, whether you're the experienced golfer or if you've just gotten into it because of COVID? We're going to talk about that coming up. Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates? In over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. 
First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. Have you ever wanted tips from a PGA pro? It's the tips segment on Beyond the Fairways with PGA professional Jay Delsing and four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Take a look at our tips segment. How often should you change equipment? It is always evolving. It's trying to make you a better player. So let's start with the advanced golfer and the guy that's playing out there, single digit, how often should, or girl, how often should they be changing their equipment? So, Danny, if you're a top player, let's say you're a top young player, you're, you're, you're graduating high school, getting ready to play college golf. You've got to stay, you've got to keep more than a toe in the water on this stuff. You need to stay up with the latest technologies and shafts and, and, and some of the drivers that come out because it can really make a difference depending on the specifics of your swing, how much speed you have, your launch angles and some things like that. You need to stay on that. Tour players are always looking at manufacturers' latest stuff. They, they owe it to themselves, even their families, because their livelihood depends on it. If you're, so, so that's important. If you're a weekend warrior, let's say you're a weekend warrior, and you don't have equipment that's been manufactured, Danny, and let's say the last 10 or 12 years, you're killing yourself. Yeah. It, what about, well, here's the thing, though. Yeah. What, what if you're comfortable with what you've used the last five or 10 years? And you say, the heck with the innovations in golf, but I just feel when it's in my hands, I'm so comfortable with this. This is what I want to do. Yeah, that's a toughie because then I would probably say you still need to get out there and at least try something. Go get yourself fitted. See what this new technology does because if you're with a good guy, like some of the guys that we know, they can duplicate and replicate that feel, but just give you a piece of equipment that's maybe a 15% more forgiving. So that miss, instead of missing the green to the left or the right is on the green. Danny, that is a huge deal for weekend golfers. And, and the single lowest, quickest way to lower your scores is to hit more greens. And if that little miss puts you, you know, on the green instead of in that bunker, that's shots that we're saving. You played in over 700 PGA Tour events. You're on the Champions Tour. How often do you change your equipment? Well, you're talking about a dinosaur here now. Take a look <laughs> at me. But, you know, I've been through this whole thing. I started playing with my mom's clubs. We all grew up with that's great. actual wooden clubs. Your woods were wood, you know. I'll, Danny, I'll never forget this. I was uh, a buddy of mine used to run the LA Open and he said, "Hey, we got these this this great junior uh, program coming up and these kids are coming in from the grade school and there's got to be about 300 of them. Will you do the clinic for them?" I said, "Oh, sure, no problem. You know, I've done 100 of these things. It's no problem." So, we get out there and uh, and I'm juggling, you know, just trying to have it make it fun for the kids, but also hit some shots and things like that and they're like, "We want to see you hit your driver. We want to see you hit your driver." And so Danny, I was one of the last guys to go to the 
get off the wooden and go to the metal woods. This was in the 90s somewhere. So I pull out my wooden driver, and this young man says to me, dude, let me see that new driver you had. <laughs> and I said, what new driver? And he goes, I've never seen a driver like that. Incredible. This kid had never seen a wooden driver. Incredible. Yeah, so, I mean, so when I was playing, I was changing my wedges, Danny, Every quarter. Yeah. Every single quarter. Every, you know, 12 weeks, I'd get brand new 60, or, which is a 58 for me, and a 54. Brand new. Right? My my own custom grind, which wasn't all that custom, but it was a little bit specific for me. The specs were for sure because my shafts are a little longer, and I had a, a, a very specific lie angle that I wanted, Denny. I wanted my wedges to sit very flat so that I could get in there and use the bounce, and that really, really helped me a lot. When it came to the other stuff, I didn't change putters very often because I had a, a, a kind of a rotation of ones that I would go to. But man, when it came to the drivers, I was always testing. Betting segment coming up. will take us on the PGA Tour to the Mexico Open on Beyond the Fairways. Where do we find the best golfers in the world this week? It's time for the picks segment on Beyond the Fairways. Betting segment, make yourself some money because, Jaybird, we've been on fire as the PGA Tour goes to the Mexican Open. Danny, I think, if I'm not mistaken, our last five weeks between our sleeper picks and our favorites, we've had a, 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 a top three every single week. Mexico Open, not often do guys play every single week, but John Rahm is in there. Okay, I know I'm going out on a limb for a favorite here, but John Rahm is my favorite to win it. Oh, no, I mean, how do you not go against exactly. John Rahm? I mean, he's uh, – plus, I got to tell you, just watching the way he's handled himself. Uh, it's been great. Uh, Curtis Strange, we had on the show a couple weeks ago, referred to what a, how he's watched this guy mature, and, and he's, he's just fun to watch. Davis Riley, sleeper for me. I love it. I love it. My sleeper pick is going to be Maverick McNeely. Here's a kid who went to Stanford. Uh, uh, kind of a famous family. His dad, I think, is one of the CEO or something of Sun uh, Microsoft Systems or something yeah. in, in that regard. And so I, I really like him. And if you're going to pick a guy uh, that's a little well more well-known, let's go with Tony Finau. First of all, sure. one of the nicest guys out there. Love it. Love the family. He's a great follow on, and I don't follow hardly anybody on social media, but he's a great follow. He's always got his family in there. He's always got some sort of music, some sort of rappy sort of thing. And, and I think his... Um, ancestral uh, background. background and yep. stuff all comes out to play in some of the fun music things that he and his family do. So great, fun, easy guy to root for. And he's a personality. It's yeah. nice to, in sports, whatever you follow, to have personalities. You attach yourself as a fan to those guys. Absolutely, you do. And and um, so it's really going to be fun to see what, what shakes out this week because we've been on fire. Fire. Hey, buddy, this is always great to do. Beyond the Fairways and Brandel Chambly. That was fun. Yeah, it, it, it's fun to, to, to really get to sit down and let him kind of go. Yeah. You know, roll this thing out there and see where he goes with it. And it, it was interesting. He didn't mince any sort of no. words when it came to LIV at all. Didn't surprise me either. I thought he would probably do that. Yeah, so that, that was, was cool to see. Very cool to listen to. For Jay Delsey, I'm Dan McLaughlin, and this has been Beyond the Fairways.